Welcome to Emotional Detox Podcast, where our mission is to get the world feeling again. Here's your host, author, Sherrianna Boyle. Welcome to Emotional Detox Now. I'm Sherrianna. I'm your host. I'm also the author of the Emotional Detox book series. And my mission is to get this world feeling again. My, I have a special guest here today. I'm joined here by the one and only Dr. Jill Taylor. Dr. Jill, welcome to Emotional Detox. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. What a great subject. <laughs> it is a wonderful subject. And I just want the audience to know I have permission to call you Dr. Jill. Okay. So <laughs> I got the clearance on that for everyone. Um, let me just read uh, Dr. Jill, your bio here. So just for the audience. So Dr. Jill Boat Taylor is a Harvard trained and published neuroanatomist. In 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of the brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, write, or recall any of her life. Her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, documenting her experience with stroke and eight years recovering, spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller. Dr. Taylor is a dynamic teacher and public speaker who loves educating, as I do, all age groups, all academic levels, and corporations about trauma and about the brain. In 2008, she gave a TED Talk, uh, which went viral and hit 26 million viewers. She has been chosen as one of the Time Magazine's 100 most influential people, and she's been featured on Oprah's Super, Super Soul series. So I just want to give them a little bit of a taste of how special this is, Dr. Taylor, how much this means to me to have you on Emotional Detox now. So, um, stroke of insight. You might not know this about me, Dr. Taylor, but I teach psychology at a college level. I have recommended, this has been part of my syllabus for the past eight years. That is why the book looks like it does in this condition, okay? <laughs> I, have, I have underlined, I, I don't even have a cover anymore. So I'm sharing that because I want the audience to know her new book, which I, I have been waiting, my students have been waiting, is called Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Character Characteristics That Drive Our Life get the hard copy. Okay, people get the hard copy, because it's one of those books that you don't want to end up like this. Okay. All right. So that's my plug there. Um, I'm so excited <laughs> to, to dive in. And I was just asking you before we hopped on here, um, 13 years since Stroke of Insight, when big? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a lot. I, I never had any intention of writing a book to begin with. Uh, the only reason I wrote my stroke of insight was because so many people called me on the telephone and I'm friendly. So I would talk to them about their loved one's stroke. And my mother said to me, Jill, you have no life. You're on the phone eight, 10 hours a day. You need to write it down and give it to people. And it was like, don't make me write. Don't make me sit down and write. You know, I'd lost language. I mean, it's like, it's one thing to talk. It's another thing to write. 
So, um, so I finally got that written out and then uh, out into the world. And, and then I gave the TED talk. And then uh, people realized I had the book. And then uh, the book was published by Penguin. And then it went big into the world. Um, and then I gave the t- that, that TED talk. And at the end, I said, you know, we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And I had over 300,000 people write me and say, well, how do I do that without having a stroke? And I didn't have an answer. So it took all this time for me to figure it out. And then once I figured it out, uh, then I had to sit down and write the book. <laughs> so then I sat down and wrote the book and, and now it's out in the world and I could not be happier. It came out great, Jill. I, I mean, it's, it's packed with information people. I mean, it's, she has taken, oh, looks like my internet's a little unstable here, but okay, we're back. Um, it is absolutely packed with information. What I love about it is you really highlight emotions. Oh yeah. We I are feel. feeling creatures yeah. who think. I was really drawn to, to Yes. And I thought that would be a good place to begin. How do you define emotions? Well, um, you know, I'm a neuroanatomist, so I think in terms of the anatomy of the brain. And there are cells in the, what we call the limbic system. And that is yeah. bilateral. You have frozen. Mm-hmm. Are you back? Okay. I can still hear. Yeah. I can okay. hear you. Go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> we have the, we have the cells of the limbic system and these are the cells that generate emotion. And we have, so information comes in through our sensory systems. It goes into the cells of the limbic system. And then first of all, they go to the cells of our amygdala. Well, we have amygdala two, one in each hemisphere. And the right hemisphere is the emotions and experience of the present moment. And then the left hemisphere takes that information and compares it to our past, me, the individual, and says, give me a reason. Is there any reason for me to push away from this? So to me, emotions are the byproduct of these beautiful cells that make up the limbic system in each of the hemispheres. And so anything then that is cellular can become predictable. It can become routinized. And we can create new habits that can then shift our relationship with the circuits that we're running. So to me, an emotion is the byproduct of the running of the limbic circuitry. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I know for you, that was the part of you. So the, the clot was in your left hemisphere, correct? Yes. I had a major hemorrhage in the left hemisphere that wiped out the, the emotion of my past and future, as well as my cognitive, uh, rational mind of my past and my future, as well as the cells that define me, Jill Bolte-Taylor, as an individual. So I lost all of that. It was really very pleasant. 
but you got to experience emotions, but you got to experience them in the present moment without it being compared to the past or going into the memories or the trauma of the past. Is that correct? Exactly. I lost all of my experience of the past and the future. And I, all I had was the experience, the emotion, the experiential experience of the present moment, as well as a cognitive connection to all that is of the present moment, not defined by the boundaries of me, the individual. Okay. And so without that, you got to experience the blissfulness of what it feels like to be, to be present with your emotions. Again, not going into the past and not going into the future. So as, as you're recovering, you took eight years to recover from your stroke Obviously, these hemispheres are now coming back online. (laughs) Your book is called Whole Brain Living, right? Um, And so as these are coming back in, what was that experience like for you? Did you once again start to have the comparison, the old? Tell us a little bit about that from emotional my. From an, so, so as I look at the brain, I see the two emotional groups of cells and the two thinking groups of cells. Emotion thinking in the right present moment, emotion thinking left, past and future as related to me, the individual. So because my hemorrhage was in the left hemisphere and I lost my past and my future and me, the individual, then once the trauma was gone of the hemorrhage and two and a half weeks later, the surgeons went in and removed a, a blood clot the size of, of a golf ball. Once they took that pressure off my brain, then I found that the emotions of my past, they were gone. They, the trauma, though, though any trauma, any pride, any experience of the past, positive or negative, those experiences were gone. Um, And then, and so I I essentially started over again. And you, you have to remember that the emotional systems never mature. So the cells of the emotion are my little Jill, my little wounded self of my past in the left, and then my little Jill present moment experience of the present, but neither of them are mature characters. They are the children inside of of us that, that remain children forever because they do not have the capacity to mature. That's why we have the thinking tissue. The thinking tissue comes online and it differentiates and refines what's going on below. But and so we have these these four very specific groups of cells resulting in four very different character profiles. So my left thinking tissue it eventually could learn again. I could go back to school. I could relearn uh, how to read, how to walk how to write, how to speak. I could, I could relearn language. I could build, um, uh, I could, even though on the morning of the stroke, I lost my left hemisphere and all the details of my anatomy, I still had my right hemisphere, which is, thinks in visual and has the three-dimensional understanding of the anatomy. So I could, I could learn very quickly because I could have sculpted for you, for example, an abdomen, uh, appropriately, because I was a, a, I studied whole body, gross anatomy, cadaver lab. 
And uh, but I couldn't name for you because of the left brain was offline, the three different parts of a stomach. So so for me, learning once the hemorrhage, uh, once once the trauma was gone, I could learn very quickly. So I had lost all the trauma from my past and I lost my education and my education as an individual. And then those came back online. And then like a child. I had to begin with essentially nothing and relearn everything and build that up to being a, a whole human being again. Makes a lot of sense. And what, what I see, Dr. Taylor, in, in my work is, is a lot of reactivity to emotions. We know that a lot of those reactions are the past, right? Getting triggered trauma there. And, and really, I love the way you say those cells never mature because sometimes we have to remember we're looking at things through an adult lens now. But if you go to the childhood lens, it is a little bit different and the language is a little bit different. So you almost have to see, well, what did that feel like? What would a child react like? What would they say? And sometimes when you go to that place, that's where you can really uncover um, and release from. Because I think we go in with our adult brain. It sounds like you were able to go between the two and understand. And I know you talk about characters um, in your book, which was really brilliant. I, I was trying to think to myself, how the heck is she going to pull this off? How is she going to talk about the brain and yeah. help people bring it into everyday life, right? Right, right. And you did it. You did it, Dr. Jill. And I know that I can't imagine how difficult as a writer myself to pull that off, to teach that to others, because you had quite an experience. And now you're trying to give us what you learned and how to have that whole brain living. But again, I love the way you said those cells don't mature. So there, it really is like a little or part of us that we have to learn how to work with. Do you want to speak any, anything else about that before we? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, as we look at trauma from our past, um, uh, these are cells, these are cells that are working and communicating in circuitry. And they, the thing about cells is that, first of all, the more often you run a circuit, then the stronger that circuit becomes, and then it begins to run on automatic. The other thing is that the more experiential mm -hmm. an experience is, the more powerful that circuit becomes. And then that circuit is available for us to revisit and rerun. So trauma when we experience trauma, we experience trauma in the present moment. Um, whatever it was that happened to us when we were young, whatever that trauma is, the trauma is ingrained in the circuitry of our brain, but it's not fixated because neurons have neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain cells to rearrange which other cells they're communicating with. So we can actually... Uh, heal our trauma. Can we make it go away? No, it was reality of a time. But yeah. we can bring our mind into the present moment 
recognize that this happened to us. This was a horrible thing. The reason why it is so powerful inside of our brain was because it was so emotionally powerful that that circuit got fixated. And then if the trauma is repeated and repeated and repeated, then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger on top of it. But we do have the ability now to bring our mind into the present moment and recognize I, I have this circuitry, I have this trauma, I experienced this trauma, this trauma was real, and is real for me, but I'm not in the trauma anymore. And I can release some of the power of the trauma. I don't have to constantly rerun, rerun, rerun that trauma. And part of that is recognizing I do have the power now to bring my mind into the present moment. Even if I have post-traumatic stress disorder and I'm experiencing a complete uh, repeat of the morning of the stroke, which has happened to me twice, but I still have the ability to bring my mind to the present moment and recognize I am not having a stroke, 99.9% sure. I am running the old circuitry of the morning of the stroke, which was extremely traumatic to my brain. Those cells are completely in communication with one another. And then I have the ability to hit that trigger and rerun that as a flashback, have the whole experience, but have it be, I'm just running circuitry in my brain. I'm not experiencing the reality of right here, right now. We can train ourselves then to look at what's going on differently. And we, we just have so much more power over what's going on inside of our brain and how we look at it in comparison to what we've been taught. Thank you. I love that. And I, I really want to get clear on this trauma word, because I think sometimes we believe that um, it has to be a horrific experience, right? And I, I'm not sure how you define trauma. I would love to hear. I know how I define trauma. Um, but when I think about you, you say trauma is experienced in the present moment and it is an experience. So let me have you answer that question first, then I'll go to my second half of that question. So how do you well, define trauma? That's interesting. Now, nobody's asked me that before. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say trauma is, um, uh, first of all, it's going to be on a scale of one to a hundred mm-hmm. and it's going to be anything that doesn't, uh, doesn't really jive with how I want reality to be. Um, I mean, I can experience trauma, uh, at the tone of, of someone's voice, you know, because if I have an old circuitry that that hooks into I'm bad, I'm wrong, my, that little character, what I call character two part of my brain, that character is my traumatic self. And so anything that hooks into that part of me is only going to resonate as more trauma. Um, so do I think that there is, I, you know, I, that's a fascinating question. I would, uh, let's hear your, your definition and then I'll add to you. <laughs> Because you thought about it. I've never thought about how would one define trauma? Well, I I love um, the author of The Body Keeps Score. He defines trauma as um, anytime you're scared stiff. And that's kind of what I've gone with. But I love the way you, you mentioned, Dr. Jill, where it doesn't sort of line up with 
what you had hoped for. And um, I guess when I'm, when I'm asking you this question, I'm thinking of the part in your book when you, you talk about, well, I guess we're talking about the, the memory, right? We're talking about the cells of the emotional um, system. Um, the amygdala influences our ability to form memory and we no longer, oh, this was it, Dr. Joe. The cells of our emotional system have the ability to increase our heart rate when we are nervous or afraid. This is under a section in her book, by the way, everyone that's entitled anxiety and fear. Um, the brain and the amygdala influences our ability to form memory. And when we no longer capable, and when this happens, we are no longer capable. This is what I highlighted of learning and memorizing new information. This was music to my ears. Okay. Because I can't tell you how many people I work with who, um, have trauma with just being called on in school when they weren't expected to be called on, or they were called on in a way where it was a, it was a tactic as a way to manage behavior or to get someone to pay attention. And I can't tell you how many times um, I've heard that from people that, that they would freeze Right. And I think of my own children. I have three daughters. All three of them talk about how difficult that is, especially in middle school. We're talking development and you're called on and you might not know the answer. And you're at the developmental time in your life where you feel like everything's magnified. <laughs> Everyone look, notices every freckle on your face. And that sticks <laughs> with them, Dr. Chill. It sticks yep. with them. And it seems like nothing until you start to unpeel the layers of what is preventing you from feeling what is right. preventing you from allowing yourself to have an experience with your emotions so you talk yeah. about that in your book is that can you just yeah spend a little time with that because i can't i just love that go ahead yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, and the examples that you gave are, uh, are fantastic. Uh, the one I automatically to go to is there is nothing worse for me than sitting in a circle knowing we're going person by person by person by person. And it's like, you know, you're 13 down and and you're going to die by the time it gets to you. What am I going to say? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Da, 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 da. The heart's racing. You can't think about it. They, you know, can't access anything that's going you know, to sound remotely coherent. You know, anxiety is debilitating. And anxiety, you know, so information streams in from the external world. And it's benign, you know, I'm sitting here, you're sitting where you are, there's, you know, whatever happens, we're going to manage it. Um, but uh, so so it does it, 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 the data is just raw data, there's no affect attached to it, no emotion. And so then it comes in and it goes into these two amygdala, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, give me a reason in the present moment to have an alarm, alarm, alert, alert. Well, I, um, I live on a lake on a boat and I have wasps that just kind of like hang out and there's one right there and I'm just keeping kind of an eye on it. And does it alarm me? If it gets too close to me, you're going to see me like go chase it or, or swat at it or something. 
Um, and I could have anxiety if I had an allergic response to that kind of a bite. Um, but, but, you know, it's benign. So I'm okay. Present moment. Um, past experience might be, oh my gosh, you know, three years ago, I had one of those sting me and I had to have an epi shoot. Da, 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 da. And so my alarm alarm goes into the past and it says I'm not safe. And, and so my heart's palpating. I'm, I'm breathing fast. I'm, I'm, I'm just nervous. I'm anxious. I got to talk to you. Oh my God, I'm in, you know, overload. Well, as soon as the, the amygdala go alarm, alarm, alert, alert, I don't feel safe. Then it is all about, I got to save myself in the present moment. All that information that I, that I have packed into my higher cortex, I cannot access it. So as soon as a kid goes into test anxiety, it doesn't matter how much they've packed into their head. If they're in test anxiety, they can't get past the emotional system in order to get out of the amygdala into the hippocampi, which are sitting right next door, which is what we've used in order to put our short-term and long-term memory into position. So uh, last night, I might have studied all my spelling. And I can spell everything great, but, you know, now I'm here in the present moment and the person next to me has test anxiety because they didn't study or even if they did study. And I got mirror neurons. And so even their anxiety, my alarm, alarm, alert, alert can hook into their alarm, alarm, alert, alert, because, you know, oh, my God, we're all in the anxiety now and everybody performs poorly, except for those who just, you know, they're detached from their amygdala during this moment. So there is this antagonistic relationship. Either we're in alarm, alert, alert, in our anxiety, in our fear of the future, whatever it is, we're hooked into the emotional system, or the emotions are calm. I don't feel like I'm alarm, alarm, alert, alert. Everything is fine. And everything is fine when things feel familiar. So the more familiar that environment is, then the safer I feel. The safer I feel, then the hippocamp I turn on, I can actually not just learn and memorize new information, but I then have the capacity now to hook into what I, what I have, have put into my higher cortex storage because I'm feeling calm again. So there's this relationship between the amygdala and the hippocampi that allows us to either access our higher thinking and get out of the fear and anxiety, or we just run it and we just can't get out of it. We're, we're held captive. Thank you for that. I think a lot of parents are going to watch this and say, thank you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you, Dr. Taylor, because I know my child needs more time. I know I could benefit from, from more time, um, not have such pressure. People, can we take the darn time off the damn tests? Really? Do we have to have time tests? Yeah. Is it necessary? Um, yeah, I know in some circumstances you don't have control, but some, a lot we do. Um, also the rushing, you talked about the packing it in. And is that something that you had discovered with your whole, again, we're talking about her book, Whole Brain Living, um, everyone in terms of connecting to the present moment um, I'm not sure if we can pack it all in, Jill, and connect to the present moment. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, uh, the present moment is a peaceful moment. And the thing about the present moment is, let's say right now, where do you live? Where do you live? I'm Cape Cod, Massachusetts. What part of the country? I'm in Massachusetts. Okay, well, let's... Cape Cod. Okay, so let's say uh, a big storm's going to run right up, you know, the the, the um, East Coast. Yeah. And you know that the storm is coming. And so you've, uh, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, I got a big storm coming and I got Dr. Jill on here. And so I'm going to act like I'm okay because, you know, but I know right now that, <laughs> that anything could be hitting the fan out there, right? So, sure. uh, but you did your prep and you're, then you may have been feeling some anxiety, right? Okay. So I'm going to take care of all the things that I can take care of. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to sit down and there's no window. So no one will know that there's this horrendous storm coming on. And I'm just going to act like I'm like, okay. But in the back of my mind, I'm percolating, right? Am I okay? Am I okay? Okay. But the thing about the present moment is we're okay in the present moment. It's the past that that we're freaking out about or the future that we're freaking out about. We don't freak out. So because in the present moment, if a storm should hit, I can guarantee you, you're going to show up 100% in the present moment, in your alarm alert, you're going to get your kids, you're going to get your family together, you're going to get yourself safe, and you're going to make it through the present moment. Because the present moment is where we can manage everything. I can't fix anything that happened in the past, and I can't fix anything about the future. I can prepare for it, but I can't guarantee it without anxiety. So that's why we have this anxiety and fear about the past and about the future. So we're freaking out about some time other than right here, right now. So if I go in and I'm going to take a test, then it's like, well, Dr. Jill, I'm taking the test in the present, present moment, and I'm freaking out about the present moment. Well, but why are you freaking out? And you're allowed to ask yourself, why am I freaking out? What am I saying to myself? What emotions am I thinking about? Am I terrified that I'm going to fail this? Am I, even though I've studied? Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? So from a logical, analytical thinking part of your brain, it can come on and say, we prepared, it's okay. The anxiety that I'm feeling is anxiety. It's a group of cells inside of my brain that I'm running. And it has the power to change the frequency of my breath, the, the less than depths of my breath. I can freak myself out and I can also use my cognitive mind to come into the present moment and say, I can slow my breath down. I can close my eyes and I can watch my breath as though it's a train on a track and I can slow it down. And as I slow it down, I can feel I'm breathing more deeply and I can open my eyes and I can bring them to the present moment and I can know in the present moment, this is a different time than my freak out because my freak out's about the past and the future. And I can actually make some cognitive efforts in order to purposely shift the physiology of my experience of the emotions. Because I have thoughts, I have emotions, and I have physiology. And I can manipulate at any level. I can interject 
a different way of perceiving or experiencing myself in, in any of those ways. As you're speaking and as you're talking, I'm almost feeling your TED talk. I've, I've probably, again, I've assigned your book and I, we watch your TED talk every semester. So I probably have watched it 20 times. I think uh, out of uh, 20 times, I think I cried every single one. I was like hiding my tears in my classroom. <laughs> Let's not let them see their professor crying. Um, but it, it moved me. It just, it continues to move me as you're talking and, and describing this, the neurocircuitry, the physiology. And I think what was so amazing about that Ted talk, where you were sort of an example to the world that you can share your story and not re-traumatize because when you were sharing that story, you were in the present moment. You're telling us something that occurred and you're walking us through, we almost feel like we're experiencing it with you in the present moment. And as mm -hmm. you're doing that, I think you even say in your book, I think you say it in this, this book, whole brain living that they said, keep going, keep going. You have no time limit. Is that correct for your Ted talk? Well, that was during the, um, when I, during the practice, they want, okay. they wanted to know, they wanted me to run through the whole thing instead of just, you know, doing a sound check, et cetera. Okay. They wanted to know, they wanted me to finish because they, they knew that they needed to hear the end of this thing because they needed to know what, I, what was I going to do to their audience and would anybody be able to follow it? And so they ended up putting me at the end of the first se section. So nobody had to follow that. Okay. Because it felt different. It felt like you were not rushed. You know, I know sometimes you can just tell they got a clock going. Um, yep. and you were in the experience. You were also moving your body. You were moving yep. your arms. You were describing yep. your sensations. She was so I'm, I'm pointing that out because I think the audience, if you could watch that, you're going to get a real feel of what she's talking about here, about being in the present moment and the fact that, yes, we do have a past and our brain will go there and it will go to the, we're not saying that's not going to happen, right? But sure. you do have the ability to choose and for her to be able to retell that story and not become a blubbering mess, right? And a way that she did where impact, and, and I think all our stories have the potential to do that. We could really, and our memory, like our, my, and the ability to teach things in a way where it's an experience for people, right? We want them to yeah. feel, right? That is how, if you really want to think about what it is that you want to be teaching in the world, right? And this rushing mentality can really squash that. So I just wanted to make that connection, Dr. Jill. I think it's a, it's a beautiful example. Um, I did want to ask you in this book, again, everyone, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice. She talks about the four characteristics. Oh, by the way, everyone, you, what I love about this book is you have reflection questions. So you, you teach about the characters of the brain. Then she gives you a chance, which is an experience, right? right. She's practicing what she preaches and she's having you reflect and write down. That's an experience. 
so that you can really understand this on a deeper level and put it into your memory. So you can begin to have a whole brain life. So I just want people to know that that is the layout um, of, of this book. And so you get a little personal in this one. I know Stroke of Insight obviously is very personal. Um, You talk about um, living addiction. You talk about addiction in this book. Um, I think so many people are struggling right now, Dr. Jill, and and addiction is of great concern. Um, mm-hmm. What do you? What did you learn about that, Keith? For people, so you know, addiction. When when we look at the brain, and we have these four different groups of cells, we have the left thinking, which I call character one, and that's the character that is organized and structured and likes to control, and it's punctual, and it's the boss, and it wants you to put the stapler back where the stapler belongs. Right? <laughs> we all know that part. Uh, so that's that's character one. Character two is the emotional pain from our past. So this is where our trauma is located. This is also where our addictions are located. And our addictions are both personal, so it has to be in that left brain because the left brain has me, the identity of who I am as an individual in my ego. And there's actually a group of cells in the insular cortex, a part of the brain of that that character too, that is our craving. And we tend to not be addicted to things that we don't have intense craving for. So they go hand in hand and and goes hand in hand with the pain of our past and the trauma from our past. And, And this is our little wounded self. And we all know our little wounded self. So that's character two. Character three and four are in the right here, right now. Character three is the emotion, the experiential of the present moment. Big as the universe, friendly, curious, interested, creative, no right, wrong, good, bad, just right here, right now. Playful and wants to play with another because it's not just about me, the the ego individual. And then character four is the thinking tissue of connected to the universe and the consciousness that, you know, I am just simply filled with intense gratitude that I exist at all. I'm alive. And because I'm alive and I have eyes I can see and ears I can hear and, and you're there and we can actually communicate with sound and language. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we are a miracle. Life is a miracle. So character four is that mentality of, of true gratitude for simply my existence at all. So if we have these four characters, then the, how do they belong inside of a single head with one another? And how do my other characters, character one, three, and four, interact with and hold and self-soothe the part of me that's in pain? How do I interact and love and honor and respect my pain from the past without giving it the microphone all the time so that I'm actually reliving my my pain from the past all the time? I have the choice as a human being to be able to bring my mind into the present moment, to take it into the past or to take it into the future. So this book really is then about who's who inside of each one of us and who are we giving the microphone to at any time? Now, I'm the first to say the pain of the past is 
our lesson in seeing where are our comfortable edges? Where am I? Where do I feel safe? And where do I not feel safe? And if I don't feel safe because I'm jealous, is a part of my character too. And, and jealousy keeps showing up in my relationships and I keep sabotaging my intimate relationships because I'm, I'm, I'm always moving to jealousy and the people I love are not being tolerant about that. Then I'm self-sabotaging and I need, I can look at myself and say, I need to figure out what is my stuff with jealousy. The same may be true then for an addiction. If I have an addiction, how do I look at this, the cells inside of my brain, this craving circuitry inside of me, this desire to have a drink or to have, uh, you know, be on technology all the time or a sex addiction or, or whatever it is I'm addicted to. And how do I look at myself in relationship to these four characters inside of me? And it, use the other characters in order to nurture myself. So I see, um, I see, see a program like the twelve-step program of of AA as a hero's journey. And the hero's journey begins right at, at you know step one. I recognize that I am I am not capable. Uh, I need help. I'm not capable of stopping this addiction, and I need help. And so. Um, in the, the, and, and so step one is I have to acknowledge that I need help. And in my language, my little character two needs help. And my character four, which is as got big as the universe and is the consciousness of my relationship with God or a conscious, uh, a cosmic being or an infinite being or whatever you want to call it. I have that capacity inside of myself to reach out of the traumatized part of myself into the part of me that is as big as the universe. And once I recognize that, then that part of me can reach into my little traumatized self, soothe me. My character one can come in and say, how do I help? And so character one's going to say, we're getting all the booze out of the house and we're going to make it really inconvenient for us to engage in our, our, uh, our addiction. And we're going to reach out to, and we're going to have another person. We're going to have that person who we can, can hook into and call at any time uh, in order to help us when we're in our little two feeling the craving and the weakness. And then there's our character three, which wants to say, well, let's go play. Let's go do something else. Let's distract ourselves. And let's come into the present moment where we're not having a craving because craving is just that again, and I know just is not an appropriate word, but it is just a group of cells inside of that little character too, that is screaming, I want a drink or I want this or I want that. But the beauty of this circuitry is that from the moment we think that thought I'm craving, I'm craving, it stimulates the craving. I have the physiological response of craving from the beginning to the end of that circuit takes less than 90 seconds. Now that doesn't mean that I can't hook back into that and keep thinking about, oh yeah, but I'm, and I'm focusing on the deliciousness of my, my own addiction and, and I'm rerunning that circuitry over and over and over again. And it's like, at some point I can take some responsibility, distract myself away from that. And I can get myself out of the craving circuitry. 
I love that. And I know you talk about that in Stroke of Insight, that 90 seconds, that after 90 seconds, what you say in Stroke of Insight is it becomes a choice, right? So we the, the circuitry. And I was curious, I couldn't wait till this new book came out because I thought, I wonder if that still stands. I wonder if she's going to change. Um, nope. and, and it's still there, which says it takes yep. 90 seconds, everyone. After 90 seconds, you have chosen to stay angry, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Whatever. Right. It takes less than 90 seconds for us to think a thought, stimulate an emotional circuit, have the physiological res uh, uh, response to that before it flushes through us and it's out of our blood. So now I can keep rethinking the thought that re-stimulates that loop, but, you know, at some point it's like, you know, okay, so let's say I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, and I'm angry, and I'm still angry. And then the telephone rings. And so what do I do? I pause for a moment, I pick up the phone and I say, hello, you know, and it's like, I have made I have overruled that old circuitry. I'm now kind of saved by the bell, right? I, I talk to the person as my character one instead of my angry character two. And then I hang up the, fo the phone. And then that's the moment I do my work. Do I hook right back into that? that Because I'm not done chewing that bone with you. By <laughs> God, I'm still mad at you. Or do I really recognize saved by the bell? And it's like, okay, I'm going to go do something else. You know how I feel about this. I know how you feel about that. And we need to take a break and I can walk away. So we're doing these things all the time. I'm just helping people recognize these are cells and circuit. And we have much more, more power over what's going on in those than we, we've been taught. I think about the amount of information that's coming at us on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's, you know, social media, the television, and all of this, you talk about this input from coming at us and, and triggering us and triggering our neurocircuitry without us even realize that it's, it's happened. And we go home and we get upset with our spouse and we say, I don't even want to be with you anymore. Our partner, I don't even like you anymore. And the reality is you were just triggered about something else in your past has nothing to do with the person in front of you. And I've seen families tear apart over this. And it's very sad because they, they, they feel a sense of powerless. And I think about what the average person is being exposed to these days in terms of, uh, What's, you know, we, we hear a lot about a lot of bad stuff. Let's put it that way, right? All the horrible yep. things that are happening and, and that could happen. And what do you, what is your message to people after taking 13 years to compile all of this, going through your recovery? What is your message in terms of how do you have, I know it's to educate about your brain and I'm hundred percent with you. I think a lot begins with just understanding your anatomy. Um, you hear it from Dr. Jill, right? 90 seconds, um, neuroplasticity. Um, what, what is your other message to the world in terms of how to handle all of this incoming? It feels assaultive sometimes. Um, yeah. And yeah. What do you suggest? I say I'm going to go right back to the quote in my stroke of insight, the one that uh, Oprah loves so much. Take responsibility for the energy you bring into a space. 
And part of that is taking responsibility for the energy you let into yourself. Be aware. Be conscious. If you're, I mean, we are absolutely in constant assault. Um, the busyness of what's going on around us and just trying to navigate if you live in a city, just trying to navigate your way from, you know, one place to another is in an enormous sensory assault. Smells in the sewer, uh, the sounds, the squealing of the subway, the screaming of people, the horns, the noise, just the elevated level of incoming assault of stimulation. And our brain, I mean, this is, is, you have to remember, you know, over biology of the evolution of time, uh, the brain didn't come in knowing it was going to have this level of assault because we didn't have cities like we have cities. We didn't have lives like we have lives. You know, 200 years ago, you know, the country was pretty normal. It was the normal thing. Um, you know, several hundred years ago, we didn't even read. Uh, if we were going to, to be educated, it was the, the priest who read to us. I mean, our brain has been on this, this fast track of, of learn new skill set, do new things. And that's not even counting technology and what technology has brought in. And we're just like, we're dancing out here in some level of higher cognition that we never anticipated, had no idea, and we were really not designed for. So we're trying to design, the thing about, about a living being is the design tries to keep up with the experience in order to keep creating more order. Well, we're in chaos and we live in chaos. We exist in chaos. Uh, now everybody's in electromagnetic radiation chaos. I mean, we're in chaos. So just being aware of that, that I was not made for this level of overload and we were all in overload. And it's like, okay, so how do I take responsibility for not just the energy that I bring into a space, but how do I take responsibility for the energy I let into me? And, you know, I personally, I live in nature. I have taken responsibility. I have shifted my life so that I can do that because I am hypersensitive. Um, you know, three days in a city is my maximum capacity and I'm nuts. So what's it like for people who actually live there who are not consciously aware of how nuts they are simply because of the environment they live in. And then people say, well, Dr. Jill, I, I have to live in the city, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's fine. But put in earplugs, uh, wear darker glasses, try to give yourself less stimulation so that you're consciously going to get more quality of sleep. Pay attention to uh, the what you're eating, how much sugar are you eating? How much caffeine are you buzzing yourself with? Um, how much exercise are you actually giving your body? What responsibility are you taking for self-nurturing and what you are as a living being? And we're all all over the map on that, you know, but, you know, paying attention, becoming aware and making a decision about who do I want to be and what 
what am I willing, you know, when I experienced the stroke, it wasn't all about what did I lose? I lost my individuality. I lost my language. I lost my ability to communicate. I lost so much. I fell off the Harvard ladder. But what did I gain? I gained an awareness that I am as big as the universe, that we are all connected. And then how much of that would I have to give up in order to come back and be a normal human being? So for every one of us, it's finding the balance between these two beautiful hemispheres inside of our head, these four characters, getting to know them so that we then have the power to pick and choose who and how we want to be in any moment, and just increasing our overall well-being of whole brain living. I have a whole brain. What to do? How much time can do I want to spend in it? If I'm spending too much time in my trauma and my pain from my past, what are my other choices? Well, bringing my mind into the present moment is actually one of them. Oh, thank you. Absolutely beautiful. And, and I think about people who are wondering how to do that because they've got children in their homes that are addicted to devices. Maybe they're addicted to devices. We've got our habits, right? We've got yeah. habits. We get used to them. We don't want to deal with the pot. What's going to happen if we, if we get rid of them and we get, we cling to them kind of thing. And, and I agree with you, just think about how you can fill yourself up every day and oh, just getting out in nature. And wouldn't you say that when you go and you, and you take time away and you fill up and you fill up, it does become easier to let go. Wouldn't you say Dr. Jill? Because I think some people think they have to let go first. No, fill up first. Right. right. You know, you know, negotiation, this is a self-negotiation, isn't it? And yeah. negotiation is all about what am I saying yes to? It's not what am I saying no to? If I say no to drugs, I mean, war on drugs, 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 all the brain heard was drugs. <laughs> what, what, you know, what are we saying yes to? Right. And so it's not that I'm saying no to addictions. I'm saying no to this. I'm saying no to that. It's yeah. that I'm saying yes to a more peaceful me. Yeah. So let's say I have a relationship where every time this person calls me up, they just hook into their pain and their worry and they're in this and the da 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 and it's all about that. And I'm saying, you know, I love you, but I live in a really peaceful place. And instead of when we call, we hook into all that trauma. How about we say yes to actually using me and your time with me to find some more peacefulness instead of just ruminating and routinizing and increasing the level of trauma. Mm -hmm. And I say that to my friends and my people, they all know if they're going to call Jill, I would like for them to meet me where I am. Sure. I want to know where your pain is and I want to be able to hold that. And I want to be able to support that in you, but I also want to help you strengthen the best, stronger part of yourself that says, let's, to the present moment and let's talk about let's laugh a little let's mm -hmm. enjoy one another in the here and now not just hook into all that stuff and so then you're absolutely right it strengthens that circuitry of spending more time in the present moment and if i it's like running the more i i run the easier running becomes well the same thing is true for running my peaceful in the present moment uh, laughing, um, uh, caring, bigger picture experience. 
And it's like, oh, and then I start hanging out with people who actually do those things more than the people who are just always hooking me into my my cravings or my addictions or my old trauma, or they're always worried about the future or they're always in the pain about the past. And we all make decisions. We are all making decisions moment by moment. So you don't just take the big leap, but you pay attention and you become more aware. Well, you know, every time I talk to Sherry Anna, she's uh, she's playful and she's happy. Well, I want to pick the phone up and call her more often, right? Because she's playful and happy and I want to be playful and happy. Uh, I also know who I can call to who's going to hook me into the worry or who I'm going to call who's going to be too really too busy for me because they're going to sign me up onto yet another committee because they're busy doing the do, do, do character one stuff. And I know who to call who's going to want to take me on a walk in nature or just be open and loving and be in the big picture, peaceful nature. We can learn not just about who are these four characters in ourselves, but who are the four characters in those I hang out with? And then what choices am I now making and how I want to hang out with them? And I take responsibility for not just the energy I bring, but for the energy I allow in. I love that. And when we listen to others, I'm thinking as you're talking, when we listen to them complain or go on their thing, we're just a lot, we're just actually a part of them rehearsing that neurocircuitry. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, again. How many times did they say that today? You know, yeah. oh my gosh, I had a trauma. I had to call five people and tell them all about it. And that's what I love about emotions. I love about emotions because when we're really feeling and we're connecting to the present moment. Um, and like what you said, we're not rerunning the past. We're making that choice. It does interrupt. You can't rant and complain and feel truly feel at the same time. Um, Dr. Well, you Jill sure can't feel good. I mean, you can feel that anxiety. Of course. Yes. And, and, and that pain, but you're just rerunning your own trauma. Yeah. And some of us are very addicted to running our own trauma. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been, I'm sensitive to your time, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time, how much I appreciate you writing this book. Once again, everybody, this is 13 years in the making. Get the hardcover. <laughs> it's worth it, right? Um, I had no idea there were people waiting for the next book. <laughs> I've been waiting. We've been waiting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and you're at Dr. Tell them your website. DrJillTaylor.com. Uh, and um, I'm, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm doing a webinar. Um, do you know when we're going to air? Uh, it could be a couple weeks. When's I'm, your webinar? I'm, I'm doing a webinar August 24 through 26. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little fire under my peeps' ass. <laughs> they'll they'll delete that bottoms. All right, thank you, Dr. Jill. Uh, thank, thank you. It's been a joy. Thank you, everybody. Thank, thank you for paying attention. Hang in there, Dr. Jill. I'm gonna say goodbye to everyone else, but uh, thank okay. you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Cleansing Live with Sherrianna, 
go to emotionaldetoxnow.com today.